Good morning again. Currently we're looking at seven different events that took place around water wells or springs in the book of Genesis. And I believe that the Lord can use these occurrences to shape our lives for the glory of God. Now this morning our text comes from Genesis chapter 24. And this is where Abraham sends his servant to go find a son excuse me, go find for his son a wife. And now the the chapter, chapter 24, is quite large. And because of that, I'll be telling you about the beginning of the chapter and telling you about the ending of the chapter. And then in between, I'll be reading a portion of Scripture, verses 10 through verse 27. I would encourage you, though, that possibly this afternoon to find a quiet place and to read through chapter 24 of Genesis. It's a great, great chapter. So we see that Isaac is the promised child of the covenant. And now by the time we get to Genesis chapter 24, he has grown. And it's time for him to get married and to start a family. Now remember that Isaac is the legitimate descendant from Abraham. Which would eventually bring forth the Christ through that covenant lintage. So we also see that Sarah... Abraham's wife and Isaac's mother has passed away by the time we get to Genesis 24. As well as at this time Abraham himself is about 140 years old. And the scripture starts off by telling us that the Lord had blessed him in every way. But it seems now that Abraham is very concerned about Isaac and that he would have a proper wife to be able to continue this covenantal legacy. So Abraham calls his most faithful servant, the one who has been in charge of everything that he owns, and he, he offers to this servant a threefold oath that he wants him to take. First of all, we see the servant is charged by Abraham to not choose a, lo- a wife from amongst the Canaanites. The Canaanites was the population surrounding Abraham there in the promised land. The Canaanites were a pagan people, and so he wanted, definitely didn't want his son to marry one of those girls. And uh, also there's a possibility that there might be an issue as far as like the land and the complexity that would come forth if, if Isaac married a Canaanite, then a person could conclude that God didn't really give uh, the Israelites that land, but rather it was brought to them through a marriage. And so Abraham wanted to stay away from all that. Secondly, he told his servant that he wanted him to travel 400 miles to back to Abraham's home country and from there to choose a wife. And then thirdly, Abraham made the servant swear that he would never take Isaac back to Abraham's home country. That Isaac must stay in the promised land. So the faithful servant asked Abraham what he should do if he travels all this way. And the woman that he uh, approaches does not want to come back uh, with him uh, to be Isaac's wife. What should happen then? And Abraham tells him, if that happens, then you are cleared from any responsibility of the oath. So the servants made this three-point oath with Abraham. And he would do everything that his master Commanded. So now we pick up 
the reading of God's word starting with verse 10 of chapter 24. Hear now the word of God. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master, and he set out with a variety of good things of his master's in hand, in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia and to the city of Nahar. He made the camels kneel down outside of the city by the well of water at evening time, the time when women go out and draw water. And he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, I am standing by the spring and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw, draw water. May it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar so that I may drink, drink, and who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have sworn loving kindness to my master. Now before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah, who was born of Bethel, the son of Machai, the wife of Abraham's brother Nahar, came out with her jar on her shoulder. And she was very beautiful, a virgin. And no man had had relations with her. And she went down to the spring and filled her jar and came up. Then the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your jar. And she said, Drink, my lord. And quickly lowered her jar to her hand and gave him a drink. Now when she had finished giving him a drink, she says, I will also draw water for your camels until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran back to the well to draw, and she drew for all the camels. Meanwhile, the man was gazing at her in silence to know whether the Lord had made his journey successful or not. And when the camels had finished drinking, the man took a gold ring weighing about a half shillock and, about, and two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shillings in gold and said, Whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room for us to lodge in your father's house? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethel and the son, the son of Machah, whom she bore to Nahar. Again, she said to him, we have plenty of straw and feed and room to lodge in. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. That finishes the reading of God's holy word. Now, the story ends with Rebecca running back to her father's house and telling her father and all of her relatives everything that just happened at the water well. And after hearing Rebecca's story, her father and her relatives goes out and gets the servant and welcomes him back uh, to, their, to their home. And there they set before him a great banquet. But before they eat, the servant insists that they, he would tell them about the threefold oath that he made to his master Abraham. 
and also would tell them again what happened at the water well, the miraculous incident with Rebecca. And then he would make an appeal that she would return with the servant 400 miles back to meet Isaac to become his wife. Now, at first, the father isn't really keen on this, and mom isn't either, but eventually we see that they, they agree, they enjoy that great feast, and the next morning we see that the servant and Rebecca are sent on their way back to meet Isaac. Now, there are so many factors surrounding the Genesis chapter 24 of Genesis that I believe a preacher could preach 10 different sermons about chapter 24, and each one of them would be on a different topic. But this morning, I want to focus on the servant's trust in God's providence. The servant's trust in God's providence. That's the reason why I've entitled the sermon, The Well of Providence. Now, some of you might not be familiar with the idea or the teaching of providence. It's not a word that's used very often in our culture today. And maybe we're not familiar with providence in our culture because so many people don't understand how God uses providence to shape our lives. There are so many people within our culture that believe that events are merely acts of coincidence or chance. And that God really doesn't have anything to do with it if even they believe in God. But believers in the word of God recognize that God is not only the creator and sustainer of all things. But that he is also intimately involved in the affairs of humanity. Amen? Amen. Now, sometimes Christians confuse providence with the foreknowledge of God. And of course, we believe that the eternal God knows all things past, present, and future. Amen? Amen? But the doctrine of providence is more intimate than just foreknowledge. It's not that God only knows what will come to pass, but that he is intimately involved in providing for us. He's intimately involved in providing for me. As the hymn writer wrote, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And the fact is, is God is not just watching as a spectator, but, but he is intimately involved in providing for us. The doctrine of providence means that God cares for me. God cares for you. The doctrine of providence teaches us that God will supply what I need. Providence means that whether in sickness or in health, for richer or poorer, for better or for worse, God is intimately involved in providing for his children. Amen? Amen. Now, one of the oldest sayings within the ancient church is summarize the essence of this relationship between God and his people, this diasponomus, which means God for us. And this is what the doctrine of providence is really all about. God is for us. 
God is for you. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, all how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul also states, we know that God causes all things to work together for the good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purposes. Amen? God cares about you. And this story of Abraham's servant, we see this trust and this confidence in the providence of God within this servant's life. He is truly a man who rested in God's providence. And let me just stop and say this. There's a difference between you knowing about God's providence. It's a difference between me saying what is God's providence and then you write an answer. It comes down to the fact, are you going to rest in God's providence? Because you can have all the head knowledge you want. But the, the Christian understands that I have to rest in these doctrines. We have to, have to rest in these biblical truths. I have to rest in the providence of God. I have to rest in the fact that my God cares about me. So what I'd like to do is look at this servant's experience at this water well. And I want to point out some things about how the Lord worked in his life to enable him to trust in God's providence. Because maybe that's what we need. We need a little bit of a jolt here so that we might truly rest in the providence of God. So again, the verse begins in verse 10. Then the servant took ten camels from the camels of his master and set out with a variety of good things of his master's in his hand, and he rose and went to Mesopotamia to the city of Nahar. He made the camels kneel down. Now, right there was about a week's worth of time that Scripture just jumped. All right? Between those two verses, about a week's worth of time, about 400 miles riding on a camel, which I've never had the opportunity to ride on a camel, but I read a few testimonies about it this past week, and it's not really that most comfortable of a ride. So, he takes the stuff, the ten camels and, and variety of goods, he goes for a week, 400 miles, and then he made the camels kneel down outside of the city by a well of water at the evening time, the time when women go out to draw water, he said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, please grant me success today and show loving kindness to my master Abraham. Please grant me success today. This servant was not afraid to ask the Lord for success I'm not trying to teach some sort of, you know, you know, claim it and get it type of Christianity where you can just say, I, I'm, God, you're going to give me this. and God, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you have a sense of confidence that you know that God is with you so much that he wants you to have success. Our church fathers taught us that prayer is the offering up of our desires to God 
for the things agreeable to his will. But notice how our fathers taught us. Prayer is offering up of our desires. God already knows what you desire. So why don't you just talk to him about it? What is it in your life that you need the Lord's success to bring to you? Lord, grant me success today. People ask me, is, is it okay for my house to sell quickly? Can I pray for that? Is that all right? I said, well, of course, yeah. People say, is it okay to ask God that I could get a pay raise or a higher paying job? Yeah, of course. Is it okay to ask God for healing? Of course. I mean, when people ask me these type of questions, I, I just really wonder, do you really think that God wants you broke and poor and sick? No. He wants you to have success. God's word tells us, cast all your anxiety upon him because what? He cares for you. The Bible says, pray for one another so that you may be healed. Because God wants to bring healing into our lives. The scripture says, ask of God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. See, to believe in God's providence means that you believe that God answers prayer. You believe, if you believe in God's providence, it means that you believe that God cares about his kids. To believe in God's providence means that you are not afraid to ask the Lord for success. Oh, Lord, work in our hearts that after we travel 400 miles on the back of a camel and we're wore out and frustrated, Lord, give us enough faith to say, Lord, grant me success today. As we heard in our call to worship in Psalms 145, just listen. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and kind and all of his deeds. The Lord is near all those who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord keeps all who love him. That's our God. And I also want you to notice. That Abraham's servant. He wasn't afraid to pray specific prayers. Look at verses 14 and 15. Behold, I am standing by the spring. He's praying his prayer. I'm standing by the spring. And the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now may it be that the girl to whom I say, please let down your jar and, and so that I might have a drink. And who answers, drink, and I will water your camels also. May she be the one of whom you appointed for my servant Isaac, and by this I will know that you have shown loving kindness to my master. Are you kidding me? This is an outrageous prayer. I mean, the first part of it is somewhat sensible. You know, you got this dude, you know, hey, honey, will you give me a drink out of your canteen type of thing? All right, that's cool. But no, no, he goes on. No, and as soon as she gives me a drink, then she's going to say, Lord... She's going to say, oh, let me water your camels too. This is outrageous. 
Notice the, the prayer request is not just the girl would give him a drink, but she would water the ten camels as well. And I did a little bit of research, and considering the fact that a camel drinks up to 20 gallons of water, it would take this girl over an hour to water ten camels. It's hard work. She was pouring out her jar and going back down, pouring out her jar, going back down. Over an hour she did this. It's hard work. Notice, the servant didn't pray just for any girl. Because all of them were coming down. He prayed for a caring girl. He prayed for a hard-working girl. He prayed for a girl who would be willing to serve a stranger and serve his camels. This is a specific prayer, which is really crazy. The reason why this servant could pray this outrageous prayer is because he believed that God answers prayer. It comes down just to that. You see, to believe in God's providence means that you are not afraid to pray specific prayers. And I love, Jesus said it like this, And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. In all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And I love verse 15. Before he had finished speaking, behold, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. Before he even finished this outrageous prayer. The fact is, the Bible teaches us the Lord knows what we need even before we ask him. But he wants us to ask him. It's like us as parents with our kids. You know, it came Christmas time. We knew pretty much what they wanted for Christmas. But well, how many times would we say, well, won't you make a little list and let us know what you want to have? Why? Because it's fun. It's what makes it fun. And that's the way the type of relationship that the Father wants with us. But the Lord knows what we need. But he wants us to pray specific prayers. And I also want you to notice that the Lord had already prepared Rebecca's heart before he ever showed up, before he ever offered this prayer to God. God had already worked in Rebecca's heart to be a humble servant to a stranger. God had already prepared Rebecca's heart to be Isaac's wife. The Lord truly knows what we need before we ask him, so we should ask boldly, And specifically, amen? Amen. Now, as Rebecca watered these ten camels, verse 21 says, the man gazed at her in silence. The guy is just sitting there just like gazing at the spiritual wonder of how gracious God had intervened into his life. How just... Miraculously, God had shown his loving kindness to him. The Lord had brought him 400 miles on a camel's back. And now there he is at the right place at the right time. And God prepared Rebecca's heart before he got there. (laughs) Now, 
And also the scripture says that Rebecca was very beautiful. You need to know that there's only seven times within the scripture that God calls the seven women beautiful. There's only seven women in the Bible that God records of them being beautiful. And Rebecca is very beautiful. But that's not what he's gazing in all for. I mean, it helps. <laughs> but that's not what he's gazing in all about. He's gazing in all because God had done exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all he could ever ask or think. <laughs> Rebecca is now watering these camels. And he sits in awe. You know, a lot of times, as far as within ministry and church, we, we always revisit the book of Acts to see the characteristics of the early church. And we usually fall down in the book of Acts. You know, chapter 2 is a familiar place where we see that the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, and breaking of bread and prayers, that they met together uh, within the temple and from house to house, eating meals with glad and generous hearts. And those are, those are great things. But there's one characteristic of the early church that I think we often overlook. And this is how the Bible says it. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. When was the last time you felt the sense of awe in what God has done for you? If you're anything like me, it's been a long time. And maybe that's the problem. We've, we've kind of normalized God. You know, we brought God down to us instead of us going up to God. And, but it seems to me that within the early church, this, this sense of awe was a, was a regular occurrence. <laughs> Maybe we don't live with any real expectation that God's going to show up. What about you? Maybe we don't live with any real expectation that God's going to show up. Many of you know I grew up in the charismatic and Pentecostal church. And I've seen a lot of weird stuff. There's, we can sit down sometimes and I can tell you some of the stories. But there's not any element of weirdness in the church that I haven't seen. But I have to tell you, one thing I've always appreciated about my spiritual ancestors is that they believed God was going to show up. They believed God was going to show up. Maybe they believe, my, my spiritual ancestors, maybe they believe more in the providence of God than I do. Maybe they believe more in the providence of God than we do. Maybe we discount them because of their weirdness instead of admiring the fact that they believe God's going to show up. The servant's sense of awe caused him to bow and worship. And so we pick up the story at verse 26. Then the man bowed low and worshiped the Lord. And he said, blessed be the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, 
who has not forsaken his loving kindness and his truth towards my master. As for me, the Lord has guided me in the way to the house of my master's brothers. This comes from the New American Standard Version, but if you look at the literal translation, this is what it says. He says, being on my way, the Lord led me. Being on my way, the Lord led me. And I think that this phrase from this servant's lips teaches us so much about God's providence. Being on my way implies movement, direction, purpose. Where the phrase, the Lord led me, implies that the Lord's hand is upon a person's life. Being on the way, the Lord led me. Many people have asked me, well, I don't know exactly what the Lord wants me to do in ministry in the church. And so I say, oh, well, what are you doing now? And they say, oh, nothing. Well, you're never going to figure out what the Lord wants you to do in ministry of the church unless you do something. You're not going to know if you can really be used of God to teach children unless you teach children. You're not going to, be, you're not going to figure out anything unless you get on the way. You know, guys for decades come, Brian, how do I know if God has really called me to the ministry? Well, you know, well, what are you doing in the church right now? Nothing. Well, he's probably not called you to the ministry. <laughs> because they're not on the way. How can the Lord lead you if you're not on the way? My point is, the Lord wants us to be on our way. He doesn't want us just sitting around doing nothing. He wants us to be on the way and believing that as we are on the way, He will lead us. Amen? Amen. Believing in God's providence means that we believe that the Lord will lead us, mold us, and direct us as we are on the way. Listen, the Bible tells us that the Lord directs our steps. But for the Lord to direct our steps, we have to be walking. Not just sitting around. We have to be moving. People say, well, should I, should I pray that God would, would, would bless me so that I would pass this exam? Well, have you studied? No, then don't pray. Is it wrong for us to pray that our team beats the, our opponent this Friday night on the, on the football field? Is it wrong to pray that the Lord will give us a win? Well, have you practiced hard during the week? No, don't pray. What's my point? As we're on the way, the Lord will lead us. If we're not on our way, don't expect to be led. The servant had been traveling for over a week, not knowing exactly where he was going. He had a general idea, but he had to get on the way. He didn't have an address, and he certainly didn't have a GPS. But I am sure that as he was on this journey, that he experienced times of doubt. Asking himself, what in the world am I doing? Where in the world am I going? But the fact is, he kept traveling northward. And then, after a week on a camel's back, he came, the Lord led him to a well outside of the city of Nahar. The Lord led him because the Lord provides 
for his people. Amen? Amen. And now, as he bows low in worship, he is able to say, I was on my way, and the Lord led me. Thanks be to God. Brothers and sisters, I want to challenge all of us today to believe in the providence of God. But again, I want us to understand what we're hoping for. I want us to believe that God is for us. That God cares for us. That God will provide for us. That God is not a spectator, but rather he's intimately involved in providing for us. I want us to ask the Lord for the boldness where we could pray for success. That the Lord would grant us success. I want the Lord to develop in our hearts that we would pray specific, outrageous prayers. And I want us to expect that God's going to show up in our lives. I want us to believe that God will work wonders in our lives so that we will have a sense of all of his loving kindness towards us. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him over for us, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Paul, by being led by the Holy Spirit, just really laying it out for us. What, what, what can we say? I mean, there's nothing else to say. If God is for us, who can be against us? Unless your God's like this. And then Paul goes on and says, listen, just follow this logic here. The, the, the God the Father, who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. So basically, God gave us the greatest gift of all. Salvation and redemption and righteousness through the work of his son. The greatest gift, the greatest provision of grace God has given to us. Salvation through Christ. Amen? So if that's true, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? <laughs> Don't have a pea-sized faith in God. Have a monument, have a great mountain of faith in God. That he cares for you. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we come to you today thanking you that you are not... Just a spectator, but you are intimately involved in providing for us. You care for us. You are for us. And you provide for us. And Lord, we ask you today that by your spirit that you would grant us the faith that we might be granted with success. We pray, Lord, that we would pray specific, outrageous prayers, Lord. And by your Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll work faith in our hearts, that we will certainly expect that you'll show up in our lives so that we can sit in awe of your loving kindness towards us. Thank you for what we learned from this servant at this well of Nahar. Work within us, Lord, so we all might be able to drink from the well of providence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.